Some of you might be interested in supporting Advent Conspiracy. I would just encourage you to look it up on the web. It's a great organization, and it's a great reminder that Christmas isn't about consumerism. It's, it's good that we want to be generous to one another, but that generosity is coming from remembering that God was generous to us. And, and we, we don't want to get caught up in, in the materialism and the consumerism of our day. You know, we, we want to kind of temper that. So this is a way, this is a practical way that, kind of, that can help us throttle back on what, what culture around us is pushing us to do. You know, remember what Paul says, don't, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. And consumerism is what our culture does in squeezing us into that mold that we would buy, 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 buy. And as people of the kingdom, we want to say no. You know, we are stewards of what God gives us. We want to be generous uh, in lots of different ways, not just in buying. Uh, there, that's kind of fun. So I don't know if you ever do this, but sometimes it's really good to take a day and not buy anything. There are days I take, I don't buy anything and I don't use my car. I use a bike and I don't buy anything. I do that because I want to be free. I want to be free. I don't want to be locked in in bondage to the culture that's around me. I want to be in the kingdom of God. So I just encourage you to think of things like that. An Advent conspiracy would be something like that. So we really are living out the kingdom message in the everyday things of life. Last week we looked at the cornerstone of Christmas. Uh, this, this morning I want us to uh, look at the foundation of Christmas. I don't want to be distracted by that bear. So you'd like to stand with me. Let me read the home-based passage for us during this Advent season. This is in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 to 22. If you'd like to read there, meditate there, that's where we're going to be this month. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what He is building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now He's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. Please have a seat. So the passage is reminding us that God is building a home. And we want to remember that during the season of Christmas. And in, in some ways, I mean, our thoughts and our hearts are focused on home. Christmas is a, is a home gathering. Now, for all of us, it's not, you know, it's, sometimes it's a good time, sometimes it's not a good time. But what God is building is a really good thing. So if I've had a family background where Christmas is really a good memory, then God's just going to build upon that and it's going to get better. If I'm from a family background, my family background, Christmas really wasn't all that fun. And uh, things got kind of out of hand. It looked right, but it really wasn't right. Well, I know that God's going to redeem that, and He's going to build a home that's even better than what my dysfunctional home was when I was growing up. So we, we can't lose. With God, He's building a home that's going to be great for everybody. Now, the foundation of that home, which is what we're going to look at today, goes way back to the prophets of old, and then the apostles that are, are nearer, but they're still not you know, contemporary. So we have a foundation that stretches back historically. And then the bricks are people, people that are following Jesus. 
And it's irrespective of, of where you came from. If, if you're of Jewish background and you've come to follow Jesus like every one of the original apostles, then you're going to be in this, this house that God is building. If you're a Gentile because God called the apostle Paul to go to the Gentile nations, then you're going to be built into this building if you're following Jesus. So irrespective of where you've come from, then all globally, God's building this house. And the, and the stones or the bricks are the people that are following Jesus. And Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the, he's the stone that holds all the pieces together. So we can't enjoy this home that God is building without Jesus. And I'd just like to suggest that you're not really going to enjoy Christmas for all it is if it's not about Jesus. This is a season about Jesus. So God is building a home. And in that home, God is quite at home. And I love that phrase. That's the phrase that stuck with me. God is quite at home in this home that he's building. He talks about this home also being a temple, a holy place. So it's a place where God is at home, we're at home with him, and worship is happening, but it's within a comfortable setting. And that's, why, again, why I would encourage you to stay home, Christmas, PJs, be comfortable, and worship God. This morning, I want us to explore the foundation of Christmas. The apostles and the prophets are the foundation of Christmas. And some of the biggies, you'll remember them. Isaiah, you might not remember Micah, you might not remember Hosea, but you might remember Jeremiah. Jeremiah, Isaiah are major prophets from the Old Testament. That just means what they wrote is longer than the minor prophets of which Micah and Hosea are. As we study or look at Matthew chapter 1, 2, and 3, we have these, these building blocks that become this foundation for the story of Christmas. But in summarizing what happened, before we look at some of the details, what's happening is that the word of the Lord comes through the prophets. And I'm going to show you a little bit of the technicality of that because it's really important, but it's really this. God spoke. God is a person. God has a voice. And God spoke. And when we're looking at the foundation of Christmas, God spoke promises. God made a promise. He spoke a promise. And a prophet, these four and others, heard God speak. So just like you are hearing me, I'm speaking, you're listening, there was a point in time that these four men heard God speak. And he spoke a word of promise. And these prophets knew that that word of promise was really important. So they repeated that word. They simply delivered. They spoke what God spoke to them. This is what God said. I'm just going to tell you, this is what God said. And then many of those promises were written down in what we call the Bible. So God spoke, a prophet, prophets heard, they spoke, they wrote, and centuries later, the promise is fulfilled. Bless you. Another way of looking at it is that God gave a promise, and really for centuries, that promise 
was written down, and there was a record of it, and then between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's 400 years of silence. And then suddenly, bam, the promises are being fulfilled. Another way toward the fulfillment of prophecy, the fulfillment of promises, you have Isaiah. He's living in 740, 700, that's his ministry or those years. Well, that's 736 years before what he wrote comes to fulfillment. Somebody start doing the math. If you go back from 2011, 700 years, where would you be? Micah, his ministry was 737 to 690 B.C. That's 733 years before the promises that he wrote about that he heard God say were fulfilled. Hosea, 760 to 730, 756 years before what he wrote because he heard it from God, was fulfilled. Jeremiah, 627 to 580. He's the newest kid on the block. 623 years. After what he heard God say, what he wrote down, what he spoke to others, the promise came true. So if we were to back up 700 years, where where would we be? Where are our mathematicians? 1300s. For, I mean, what, what big event happened in the 1400s that we would remember? In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Remember? I mean, so like we're backing up. There's not even America yet. But, you know, you know putting it on a time like back in the 1300s, 1400s, God speaks. And with a word that he speaks, there's a promise. And, and people on the planet hear it, write it down, and then 700 years later, the promise is fulfilled. Now let's look at some of the details. Isaiah. In the story of Matthew, we have a man, Joseph. And Joseph, like any man in this room, came to a point in his life that he fell in love. And he's betrothed, is the biblical word. We say engaged. It's a little bit different, not all that different, but a little bit. And during his engagement period, he is shocked to find out that Mary, that he's engaged to, is pregnant, and he's not the guy. And he's really disturbed. I mean, every guy in this room would be a bit disturbed. Every girl in this room would be disturbed if you were pregnant and you were engaged and you knew nothing happened. (laughs) What happened? We all think that, you know, we're safe in God's hands. I mean, he does some really crazy things, doesn't he? (laughs) And so Joseph is trying to figure this out. What am I going to do? I mean, I'm in a pickle. What am I going to do? I, 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 how am I going to follow through and marry Mary, who is pregnant, and I'm not the dad? How am I going to do that? That goes against everything I believe in. That goes against the custom of, of the, my family, her family. And so he's thinking, I'm going I'm to have to divorce her. 
But I, but I, but I, but gosh, I really love her, and I, I don't want to disgrace her. So I got, I want to figure, I got to figure out a way that I can do this privately and protect her. But she can move on with her life, and whoever this other guy is, you know, I guess. And as he's, <laughs> an angel comes in a dream. Hey, say, hey, Joseph, I know what you're thinking about, and I know you're really disturbed. And you probably don't remember this, but 700 years earlier, God spoke a promise. And God said, look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son. And you are to call that son Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. And my friends, there is no mistake that when you read the words, and I put the words up there, and they probably don't mean anything to you at all, but I'll try to point out, they kind of got all run together. I can sort them out. It's, it's the word spoken by the Lord through the prophet. It's not the prophet's word. It's the word of the Lord through the prophet. So again, God spoke, and through that prophet, a word of promise was recorded. And that word of promise becomes reality in the life of Joseph and Mary, Jesus. It just didn't happen there. Because you go on and you read the story, and remember, Mary and Joseph end up with the baby Jesus in Bethlehem, and from Iraq, wise men come. Remember that during some of the exiles from the Old Testament, that people were relocated to Babylon, that's Iraq. And so maybe some of the story of God was deposited in Iraq. And so maybe some people in Iraq had begun to wonder about the glory of the Lord in the heavens. And somehow they got a message, hey, the king of Israel is being born. We, got it. we want to go worship that king. And they come to King Herod who is the king of Israel at that time. And they say, hey, we hear a king is being born. No, King Herod's thinking, uh-oh. I know in my heart, I'm not a very good king. I know that I've been unfaithful to my God. I know that I'm in cahoots with the Roman government, which is totally secular in worshiping false gods. And there's another king being born? And so he asks the religious leaders of his day, well, well where is Messiah? Where is the king? Where, where is he supposed to be born? He said, well, then they come back and say, well, Micah tells us, in Bethlehem, in Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you're not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be shepherd for my people Israel. So the same kind of phrase 
This was spoken through the prophet. A word of promise spoken by God to a person who heard God, wrote it down, and now it's happening. The birthplace of Jesus, Bethlehem. And then Hosea is another prophet. Because as the story goes on, when the wise, wise men from Iraq didn't come back and tell King Herod where the baby was, the king did a really, really horrible thing. <coughs> king Herod decided, that baby king is a threat to my power. And I need to know where that baby is. And because I don't know where that baby is, then I'm going to send my troops into Bethlehem and I'm going to slaughter every baby boy under the age of two. And because that's happening behind the scenes, that's not in the the, the front page of the Jerusalem Times, again, an angel comes back to Joseph and says, Hey, buddy, your son is is like, you got to get out of town now. So take Mary and Jesus and flee to Egypt. Get out of here. Get out of Bethlehem. Something bad's about to happen. Joseph listened and took his family to Egypt. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. The word of the Lord through the prophet being fulfilled 700 years later. And then Jeremiah... Unfortunately, Herod's brutal action is fulfilled. It's it's something that God foretold. This is going to happen. A crying was heard in Ramah, a weeping, a great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted for their dead. At that time, this event, what Herod did, fulfilled what Jeremiah wrote 700 years earlier. The word of the Lord. And then finally, when the threat of Herod is gone, Joseph brings his family back and he settles them in Nazareth. So the family went and they lived in a town called Nazareth. And this fulfilled what the prophets had said. He'll be called a Nazarene. That's a really interesting twist because there's, there's not a particular prophet in the Old Testament that says Jesus will be a Nazarene. But there's prophetic words, content, the Old Testament that talk about a Nazarite vow. Samson, if you want to go back and read the story, it's probably something like that, that this boy, Samson, will be God's Nazarite from the moment of his birth. So Jesus is set apart, like Samson was, to be a deliverer. It's probably that meaning that's happening here. God spoke into history. People heard God speak. People repeated what God said, either verbally or writing it down, and then God's word becomes true. Our faith, our retelling of the story, what we're celebrating in this Christmas season 
rests on this sort of a foundation. The apostle Peter sums it up this way. We, that is the apostles, we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw His majestic splendor with our own eyes when He received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to Him, This is my dearly beloved Son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we're with Him on the holy mountain, so the Mount of Transfiguration. They experienced seeing God, seeing Jesus with this light, this splendor, this glory. We saw it. And we heard, we heard God speak. It's like the heavens opened up and God said, and this is what He said, This is my Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And because of that experience, the Apostle Peter says, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. And this is in his encouragement to us. You, you, all you get, folks, you, you must pay close attention to what the prophets wrote. For their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture, no prophecy of Isaiah, no prophecy of Micah, no prophecy of Hosea, no prophecy of Jeremiah, no prophetic content of the Old Testament came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No. Those prophecies, were, were, were they, they were prophets that were moved by the Holy Spirit. And they spoke from God because God spoke to them and they delivered His Word. My friends, we have a faith that rests on a very firm foundation. I would say there is no other story on the planet with as firm a foundation as the story of the coming of Jesus, His life, His death, His resurrection, and what He continues to do today. So let me make some suggestions for us. One, the apostles and the prophets heard, they heard God speak. They saw God face to face or they caught glimpses of Him. And they provide us with a foundation of experiences. Now, this may not be our experience. We may not hear God. We may not see God. We may strive to hear God. We may strive to see God. And our experiences may not match theirs, but it doesn't mean it's not true. Their experiences are true. They heard God. They saw God. 
and they build for us this foundation that's based on experience. So if we were to ask Isaiah, Hosea, Micah, Jeremiah, Peter, can, can you deny your testimony? They would say what? No. I, no, I mean, I, I, can't, I can't explain it. But I, I can't deny that I heard God speak. And I can't deny that I saw the glory. The foundation of Christmas, unashamedly, is experiential. And many, if not most of the experiences, have been faithfully recorded in the Bible. My friends, the foundation of Christmas is true God speaking. God intervening in human history. And that's followed by a record of His activity. We heard God say this, we saw God do this, and now we've written this down so that it would be preserved for the centuries. So my friends, experiencing God, Peter says... These experiences of living in relationship with God increase my confidence in the message. And so he can say to us, pay close attention to what the prophets and the apostles wrote. My friends, again, there's nothing truer than what is written down in the Bible. This is a great time of the year for us to back up and read some of this story. Spend time with Isaiah, Isaiah 7, 8, 9. Go back and spend time with Hosea, Hosea 11. Go spend time in Micah 5. Spend time with Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31 starts with something really sad, but it ends up with something really good. So maybe you're not going to, you know, don't, don't say you're going to read Isaiah this month because you probably won't because it's really long and it's really hard. But pick a chapter and read it. Go back and read Matthew 1 and 2 and 3. Go back and read John 1 and 2. You know, spend some time reading the Bible. And as you read it, my hope would be this. You, be, you would begin to hear God. Maybe it's just a, a whisper. But that as you're hearing God, and maybe you're just seeing little glimpses of what's happening, but once we begin to experience relationship with God, our confidence in the message increases. How do I know that this is true? Because I experience relationship with Jesus. Jesus hangs out with me. I get to hang out with Him. When I'm reading the Bible, it's like I'm listening to Him. And I see Him intervene. He answers prayers. Good gracious. This is real. This is true. Last suggestion. Because just the, the symbolism here is so great. Think of the darkest place you... I mean, whatever, the, the darkest place you have around you. And take a candle. Go to that dark place. Light that candle, 
and invite Jesus, who is the morning star, to illuminate your heart with his message. See if there is within us this doubt. I just don't know. I just don't know. I'm just not sure that I can buy it. I don't need to be the one that convinces you. Ask God to prove it. (laughs) So go to a really dark place, light a candle, and ask Jesus to illuminate your heart. And see if he does it. I think he did it with Isaiah. I think he did it with Hosea. I think he did it with Micah. I think he did it with Jeremiah. I think he did it with Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul. I mean, just keep going. He's done it with me. He's done it with people in this room. Maybe the neighbors are, maybe our, our, our neighbors don't, don't buy, maybe they're not celebrating like we're celebrating. Maybe Jesus isn't the reason for their season, but maybe they've never asked Jesus to prove it. And maybe we don't need to convince them. Suggest to your neighbors, hey, get a candle, find a really dark place, <laughs> light that candle, and invite Jesus to illuminate your heart with his message. And see what he does. I mean, don't, do we, don't we, I mean, God loves to be put to the test when it's something about truth. This morning, as we worshiped, stand in awe and worship. Raise your voice in worship. Come adore the King of kings and Lord of lords. As we're, as we're worshiping in a community like that, radiant beams from glory above with the dawn of redeeming grace. Are those lyrics things that we're experiencing in relationship with a real God? Not just the lyrics of a song. This story is meant to be something that you and I experience. So would you like to stand with me? And we'll kind of like maybe light the candle here. And you can do it at home as well. Jesus, as we stand together, I stand in awe of the faithfulness of your word. God, I thank you that you have spoken. You've spoken into history. I thank you that you've spoken to people. I thank you that you've visited the planet. You've come with messages. There have been angels that have been your messengers, and you yourself became a man. And Lord, as we share this story, as we sing about it, as we have this meal tonight and celebrate the Christmas season, Lord, as I've read this story, as I've shared these words, we, we want to experience you. We want to experience relationship with you. We want to hear you. And best we can, we want to see you. We want this story to become real in our lives. So I invite you, Holy Spirit, over the season that we call Christmas, over the Advent season, 
I ask that every one of us would be bold enough to go to a dark place, light a candle, and invite you, Jesus, to illuminate our heart with your message. Enlighten us, Lord. Let us hear you. Let us see you. That our confidence in you and your message would increase. Thank you for letting us enjoy the celebration together. Before you go, I want to invite whoever would like to stay. Sometimes experiencing God is really foreign. Sometimes it's easier to keep God contained in a book. You know, you can read a little bit and then like close it. So, okay, I will keep him in the book. That's like safe, but it's not. Because God's bigger than the book. And so maybe the experience of hearing God or seeing God or glimpses of God, maybe that's something really new. And maybe even like feel like, well, I'm not sure that's even really important. I just really invite you, uh, if you would like to receive some prayer, if, if this, that someone just would pray, that your ears would be open, that your eyes would be open, that you would begin to experience God. Uh, we're, we pray for each other in this corner as others are saying goodbye. I just take advantage of that if that would help you. So I think it's important for every one of us to experience God, to know God experientially. That's important. So we want to help you if we can. If we can't help you that way, then hug each other, uh, enjoy saying goodbye, and, and, you know, please share this message with your neighbors. I, I think there's a great reason for us to celebrate the birth of Jesus. So, sh- so share that with the people you work with, go to school with, the, the neighbors on your street. And thanks for our time together. See you later.